Mike Riley and Mike Ferrante take a closer look at the year that was in Cleveland real estate. A number of topics are covered, such as the average numbers of years people live in their homes nowadays, work from home dynamics, converting retail and office space into apartments, Airbnb short-term rentals, what to do when a pipe freezes, and they also take a quick look ahead to what's in store for real estate in 2023, all on the Cleveland Real Estate Investor Podcast. Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Mike Riley with my uh, world traveler, Mike Ferrante, our special New Year's Eve edition. Mike is back from visiting uh, real estate in Israel. So, Mike, welcome back to the U.S. of A. Yeah, it was a pretty awesome trip. Uh, good to be back, though. So, all right. Well, as we always do in these morning Zooms, uh, caffeinated level. Mike? <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm one cappuccino in today. All right. And what's the coffee drinking like in Israel? Uh, it was pretty darn good. I think the only place I would say maybe the coffee was a little better was in Italy, but you know, they served a lot of Turkish coffee, which was interesting and different. And they also had a good variety of non-dairy milks, which any of our folks that listen to us know that that's my preference. Yeah. Well, Mike being a vegan, you were in vegan heaven, right? Oh. Oh, so totally. Tel Aviv is the capital of vegan vegetarian eating. That's without a doubt. And the hummus is like uh, is like espresso in Italy, right? You haven't had hummus till you have hummus in the Middle East. Um, we ate hummus in a town called Akko, which Americanized. It spells it's spelled Acre, A-C-R-E. And the place was called. Um, Hummus, what was it? Called? Oh gosh! So there's um, Abu Hassan in Jaffa, and then the other place I'll have to get back to you on the name. But the little place where all the locals eat—that's all they serve—is hummus. Hummus with pita and fresh vegetables and pickles, and that's it. There's there's one thing on the menu: wow. best hummus in the world. Okay. Well, you should put that on your Facebook profile page, right? <laughs> right. Well, I'm inspired, Mike, because I broke up, broke out the garbanzo beans last night. I've been sitting for a year in the the dried garbanzo beans, soaked them, and this morning I'm going to make Mike Riley hummus. There so you we go. We'll see. We will yeah. see. So, so the name of the place in Akko was called Hummus Said, spelled S-A-I-D. So, if you find yourself there, look it up. Well, you know, getting back to real estate, um, Jesus. The manger, you know, uh, is that up for sale? Is that it listed <laughs> or, or what? Uh, you know, it was, you know, you make, you, you jest, but it was pretty amazing to be in the places where all these things um, are written and happened and wars. And, uh, you know, the so the going back to Akko, the places like the little stores are actually in the structures that were built all those years ago, you know, going back to the thousands, 1200s even, and they use those spaces. Now I did not find out if they actually own the space or rent or how that works, but man, real estate over there, a whole different animal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we get a lot of calls from our end, as I'm sure you do from uh, investors in Israel. And uh, you know, one thing I'm struck by, I just had another inquiry on our website, here's a guy who's going to buy. Uh, he said, "Well, I buy two properties every year, and this is where I'm 
buying and you know it's in the hood and i just said hey we, we don't manage places in the hood but get a lot of people uh, we get probably at least one call a month from israel how about you on your real estate scene yeah i'd say it's um at least one to two a month pretty regularly and for for whatever reason, a lot from Israel, and occasionally we get them from other countries. You know, I think that the driving force there, of course, is the prices. People want to invest money and get cash flow on their real estate, but in Tel Aviv, in Australia, in most of Europe, you can't match the numbers that we have here. And of course, we talk about it all the time. Numbers on paper is one thing, but then of course, measuring the actual performance of the properties. But that's what that's where the calls usually start. Okay. All right. Well, you know, it's uh, the end of 2022. Let's do a uh, final wrap up of 22. Your thoughts, Mike? Yeah. So I'm going to have numbers, of course, right after the first, just waiting for all the final numbers to be put in the MLS. But, you know, I could talk about the trend. So, gosh, what a difference some months, some months make, right? We were talking about that white hot market, the term we kept using in the beginning of the year where every single property, it seemed like had multiple offers and we're not talking two or three offers it was 10 20 50 60 offers on a property over list price sellers could practically write their own check and then bam rates start going up things start shifting and now we're still in a seller's market but we can certainly see the shift happening where that white hot seller's market is dissipating i would say it's sort of a i don't want to say lukewarm but it's definitely getting to more of a balanced market and now it's uh I wouldn't even say red hot. What's the next color down from red hot, Mike? I would say piping hot. And then there's warm. Um, I I don't know. I think we're kind of more in the warm. Um, it's an unusual market because historically, interest rates at what, 6%? That's not oh, out of line, right? Not at all. You know, I remember, and I'm sure you remember too, but I remember having a mortgage on an investment property at just over seven percent and i was happy to have it yeah yeah uh you know one question i get asked let me just digress for a little bit i was talking to uh my uh, son-in-law and uh he um his uh, brother is buying a property and they were talking about fixed rate versus variable rate and i told them hey go with variable adjustable uh rates um, your thoughts again? I know we touched on this on a podcast, but we we did, and and you know I think the big challenge so far this year has been that the adjustable rate mortgages, the difference between those and the fixed rate mortgages hasn't been big enough. The the variance in the rates hasn't been big enough to make it worthwhile. But as we've been saying, keep your eye on that because as things start to even out, you're going to see a one, maybe up to two percent gap in the adjustable rates versus the fixed rates. And remember, those things are locked for a certain amount of time. So you could do a five-year arm, 10-year arm. And what that number refers to is the number of years your rate is locked. So if you're looking at sevens and you can get a five and it's locked for 10 years, that might be a good move. Exactly. I mean, really, for a lot of people, I know I'm the exception, but uh, they don't live in their house for 10 years. I mean, they say they want to, they want to live in, you know, oh, yeah, this is the house. I'm going to start fixing it up. But then, you know, after a couple of years, the thrill is gone. What's your thoughts on that uh, motivation? So we've we've seen that 
number shifting. It used to be it was closer to five years was the average that people stayed in their home. And then, of course, with the big recession, prices dropping for a while, people stayed in their homes longer because they couldn't sell. Uh, but that trend has continued through this hot market. Uh, a lot of people didn't want to move. And now with rates climbing, people who've got through 3% or, or lower mortgages are saying, well, I don't want to move now. So I think you're going to see that trend of staying in your home longer uh, stay consistent. So I think right, right now it's closer to seven, maybe creeping close to eight years is the average that people stay in their homes. Uh, and I don't know how much higher it can get because people move all the time, whether it's work transfers, family needs, et cetera, they move all the time. Kids going to school and they want to get in different school districts. You know, there's a whole number of reasons reasons that that happens well you know it's also interesting how everything's flipped because like you said uh back in 2009 10 11 12 people you know their uh equity was non-existent so if they wanted to move they'd have to write a check right yeah uh, and we watched people do it right the irony was that the house that they always wanted had dropped in price also so you know, yeah, it's kind of unheard of to, you know, write a check when you sell. But what's the difference between writing a check to exit to buy a lower priced house of your dreams when, you know, just fast forward five years, you'd have to put a, down a bigger down payment, right? Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, you know, so, you know, the interesting thing about economics is how, you know, it's just always shifting, always adjusting. You know, the free market is moving around. Um, I'd be curious as to, you know, in the impact of COVID where more and more people are working for home. I mean, my wife uh, was working from home in 1983. All of a sudden, you know, she got laid off from the agency in the great Reagan recession of uh, 82 and um, just started picking up, you know, small consulting jobs. And all of a sudden she's working, working at home. And, uh, you know, you know, this, you know, the whole COVID thing was nothing new to her. She'd been doing that, you know, throughout our kids, uh, you know, childhood, they were used to having mommy working at home. That, that was a, you know, that was a no brainer. Now more and more people are embracing that flexibility, you know, and working from home. So what do you think just off the, off the cuff, what's the impact of that on people moving? Uh, well, so that's another huge change as we do our kind of look back here, the work from home dynamic, the home gym, the uh, need for separate spaces in a home has changed forever, I think, the dynamic of, of home, home ownership. So what I mean by that, for example, is, you know, we were stuck in our homes for months at a time during lockdowns and, you know, when COVID was, was rampant. But I think that the businesses, is many of the businesses have shifted to saying, hey, this works. Why We don't need all this office space. So the work from home dynamic, the need for more, more space and separate spaces in homes has also changed. And as people get settled into these spaces, again, I think it's going to cause people to not move as frequently. Uh, and when they do, it's going to be to meet some new need. You know, maybe it's downsizers. Uh, maybe it's a job transfer where they are going somewhere else to work. But I think you'll see less of that that because you know how many people are we seeing mike that are working at a tech company in california but they live here in cleveland exactly exactly and you know here's the other thing 
your thoughts on the rise and development of these apartment slash condo complexes uh, where they're furnished, A, they're furnished, B, they're pretty much slimmed down. So it's like a one bedroom uh, condo, but within that building, they've got a workout center. They've got a swimming pool. They've got a marketplace. They've got X. They've got a kind of a shared office thing where you can just literally go to work in a beautiful space, set up your laptop, coffee machines there. Um, that's been on the rise, hasn't it? Well, for sure. And I think that the housing shortage that we've had has caused developers and builders to say, how can I build more housing and sell it, but make it affordable? So of course the multi-unit properties is one of the ways to go. So a lot of the, the development that we're seeing, for example, in downtown Cleveland, it's not freestanding single family homes, which of course is the most expensive type of housing to build. We're seeing the the vertical townhomes. They can cram a lot of units on a small space and the shared walls and other shared construction costs make them more affordable. So yeah, if they have uh, amenities like workout rooms, that's a great example. Uh, picnic area, you know, they don't have yards, so they have to have some kind of outdoor space because, you know, we all have dogs now. Everyone's got a dog. They got their COVID dogs and people had dogs all along. So this type of housing, I think is going to become more and more prevalent, not, not less and less strictly or hugely because of construction costs. Right, right, exactly. What about converting these uh, these retail and office places into apartments? I mean, I, I've heard that the White Elephant, the Galleria downtown, um, is in the process of changing over to uh, livable space. I hadn't heard that, but I'm not surprised. You know, so with fewer fewer commercial spaces needed, office space on the decline. You know, a lot of people are saying that the next thing to crash is going to be commercial because it's just not not needed. And and what are we going to do with all this space? I, I think you are going to see the commercial space getting converted to residential living area. And gosh, the Galleria would be an amazing place to put some residential units, wouldn't it be? Oh, exactly. And, you know, it's just sitting there collecting dust. And then, of course, you got all that space in um, New York. You know, uh, my future son-in-law, he works at the key building. He's on like the 27th floor. There's there's lots of floors that are empty there. So that's another change, too, that, you know, I think we are in the midst of uh, seeing. What are some of your other general thoughts for 22? Well, you know, I think that Looking back, there, you know, with such a big change in the market, I think that we, when we talk about interest rates, for example, everyone kind of shrugs their shoulders and says, yeah, OK, we've seen this happen before. The reality is we really haven't. And what I mean by that is, yes, we've seen rates change, but we haven't seen rates change by two plus points in a single year uh, maybe once or twice in our entire history. So this whole interest rate change is a historical thing. It's, it just doesn't happen like this. And I think the fact that the real estate market didn't come grinding to a halt is a testament to the fact that we're still in a seller's market. The inventory shortage and demand for housing kept the real estate market intact when all the naysayers were saying, oh, this is going to be catastrophic. It's another crash. Well, 
it didn't happen and that's that's why so yeah. i know we talked about it throughout the year mike but now we can look back and say yeah see we were right that isn't going to cause the market to crash right i think we're always uh, fighting last year's the last war um you know people uh i mean i'm rereading the history of vietnam the vietnam war um a great book best and the brightest by david halberstam and it's just fascinating how um, they were taking the lessons from uh, Munich, World War II, that you don't give in to, uh, you know, tyrants like Ho Chi Minh who were trying to take over the South. They were looking at Korea, the Korean War, which was another instance of a civil war. But they failed to see these all these best and the brightest, these Harvard, you know, grad students. So. World Council on Foreign Affairs completely missed what was going on in Vietnam, which was basically a uh, not a civil war, but, you know, a war of nationalism where Vietnam was sick and tired of other people, the French, um, from taking over the country. And people failed to see that. I think historically, one of the things that everybody needs to keep in mind is, is yeah, you can look at markers in the past, but don't necessarily make that your tried and true uh, barometer about where to go, because every era is different. There are lessons to learn from the past, but you don't put all your eggs in that one basket. Your thoughts? Hey, let's stop here. We got to pay some bills. 30 seconds and we'll be back. If you've been listening to this podcast, then you understand or should understand the pitfalls of investing in Cleveland real estate. Say you're looking for an investment property to rent. And these are the things that could happen and often do. You overpay for a house and it's in the ghetto. Then you find that it's a money pit with endless surprise repairs. Your hapless property manager, who may be the brother-in-law of the realtor, gets a tenant who after three months stops paying the rent. Then the toilet explodes, and you have nobody to repair it because, guess what? The property manager is not answering the phone. Yep, that's the ugly side of the Cleveland real estate market. But we have a solution. Buy one of our properties. It's been inspected. It's been vetted. It's in a rock-solid part of town. It comes with a gold star tenant paying top dollar rent. And we manage it. Call us at 216-371-8160 if you're interested. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And to kind of expound on that, I think that every market, you know, to bring it back to real estate a little bit, it, every every change in, in a, whether it's in a market or whether it's war, whether it's covid, there's opportunities there. And, and I think that's what we forget about is that even when the recession happened in 08 and the market did come crashing down in hindsight, 
the opportunity there was to buy really cheap real estate where everyone else was panicking and saying, oh, my God, real estate is, is crashing. I would never buy homes. Well, the people who bought from 08 to 2012 were geniuses. So yeah. you're, ta you're talking about this, like who would buy during that? Well, the smart people. So every every opportunity or every every occurrence like this, there's always some opportunity. And the key is to figure out what that opportunity is and take advantage of it before the time passes. There, there, there's a window during which you can capitalize on whatever the, these changes are. OK, well, then I'm sure everybody's uh, pounding the table. All right. <laughs> tell us, Mike. What, tell us what, what what is the what are the changes here? But before we get into that. Um, let's talk a little, I want to just raise one thing that we touched on in an earlier podcast, which is Airbnb and pushing more people to be hosts. And I'm really starting to watch my canary in the coal mine because I'm having more and more people who are inquiring about having us manage their property for short-term rentals. That's something a year ago we hardly ever got. People didn't even know what short-term rentals were. And now it yeah. seems more and more people are understanding the uh, lucrative nature of short-term rentals, which, of course, is, is true. But what, what it also is true is it puts a premium on the property manager you get because short-term rentals require a lot more back office than a long-term rental. So your thoughts on that, Mike? Well, well, it's so first of all, there's a huge hole in the market for short-term rental management. And what I mean by that is there just aren't a lot of people doing it. And you have these investors who are looking for the next thing and they can't self-manage these. You know, I, I I say that kind of this all defining statement, they can't do it. Sure, there are a handful of people doing it. They can't Maybe do they're it. doing okay, but they can't. They they really Long term, it's not viable to be an out of town owner and be trying to manage short term rentals. It's just too intensive, right? right? I mean, you see all the things your people do. You have multiple people managing short term rentals, and it's a very intensive management. That was my big question, you know, when this trend started happening. I thought, okay, people are going to make more money gross, but what are the costs of that intensive yeah. management? And is it going to bear out? that it's worthwhile. And, okay. You know, well, then, okay. And then let me tell you my, uh, my, uh, my Christmas story on that, which was the ice storm we had the, uh, mm. the polar Arctic <laughs> uh, bomb yeah. that hit uh, Cleveland and most of the Midwest, most of the country. In fact, I mean, they were getting, they were in their thirties in Florida um, at night. That's how cold it got. But here we had minus five degrees and 50 mile an hour winds. We were getting minus 50, minus 60 uh, wind chill. And while you were eating hummus in Israel, yeah. the, pi the pipes were freezing at a lot of our uh, vacant rentals. Um, because we had, we probably had about four or five of our short term rentals that were vacant. In fact, we had one that was occupied, and that was our Fairmont Mansion. And guess whose pipes were starting to freeze? The Fairmont Mansion House. Oh, no kidding. It was, it was unbelievable. It was up in the, the, the master bath. But the, unfortunately, the master bath that they had re, remodeled and turned into a jacuzzi or whatever, guess what they did? They took the radiator out. 
Mm. <laughs> he took the radiator out of the master master bath, and so all of a sudden uh, they couldn't get any water there because all the pipes were freezing. Well, the pipes were running down the wall uh, to the you know the main beautiful living room. And so yours truly was over there every day putting heat in, making sure the making sure the faucet was opened so that when it, it gradually thawed, there was some place for the water to go as it was expanding. And I learned, hey, folks, just indulge me here. I'm giving you a great tip. I learned when you have a frozen pipe, the most important thing to do is to open the faucet to the sink. Yep. The most important thing, because that's where you want the water to go, not through the wall or through the ceiling and crashing down, you know, with a uh, fire hydrant. And I went online, there was a YouTube link and what's fascinating about the YouTube link. This was a this old house frozen pipe. In fact, you can look it up. This guy had a pipe that was frozen. Or he he was a normal pipe, then he froze it. But as he was going, he was measuring with a pressure gauge. He put a little needle, he'd measure the pressure gauge like you would for a tire. When that pipe was frozen, that pressure was unbelievable. Let's just say on a 1 to 10, it was like 11. When he opened the faucet, it went down to normal just by taking the pressure off the pipe. And so, of course, I ran around to a number of our vacant properties where the heat was on and checked. And sure enough, all the outside walls, uh, the faucets uh, were uh, frozen. I mean, the pipe was frozen. There was no water cut. So I had to go around and I had to uh, put, put the faucet into dribble mode. Now, think about that, folks. Do you think your property manager... Is going out on Christmas Eve and doing that <laughs> because that's when it was happening. In fact, I have an organization of twenty people who work in the organization, and there was not one available except me, the uh, the the boss who was actually doing that. So as I go back and forth about how Airbnb is trying to seduce people to to be hosts. Um, I don't think they explained to them what exactly that entails when you do an Airbnb. These are the dirt. This, this is the naked city, you know, the million stories of the naked city. This is the dirty uh, confidential stuff about managing short term. Yeah. So thank, thank you for listening to my, <laughs> my, <laughs> my horror show for Christmas Eve and Christmas. Go ahead, Mike. Well, and, and even, you know, you talked about uh, are it, you know, do they even know they have to do it? You know, that's that's the thing. You know, if they're not, uh, you know, I was just thinking about something as simple as changing furnace filters. You know, if you're, uh, how much is it costing you to not do something as simple as changing a furnace filter? It shortens the life of the furnace. It causes more breakdowns. You know, are you going to spend more because you have more maintenance calls for something as simple as changing a furnace filter? Yeah, and then emptying the water tanks. And uh, what we do as protocol is we shut off the main, the water. So, you know, we do that as a matter of course. Thankfully, most of our properties um, that were vacant, with the exception of one, we later found there was another one, 
all the, the water had been shut off in the house. The heat was on, but all the water was shut off. So even if we had a pipe burst, there wasn't going to be much water that was going to come out of it. Okay. It wasn't going to be like this, this uh, fire hydrant explosion that the water would run for uh, until you've discovered it. And then, of course, right. you, your house is destroyed. Major damage. I'm quite frankly I'm surprised, Mike. We haven't had m- more calls from insurance companies where clients have had to move out of their house because of, you know, they were visiting relatives over the holidays and unbeknownst to them, their, their house exploded. Yeah. Well, again, it's, go ahead. it's still early, you know, you're going to see the space heater fires. You're going to see the burst pipes, you know, it's all coming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So bottom line is we're going back and forth within the company about, should we reduce holdings? in our short term and just basically start cashing out and then repositioning some of that money in it, you know, another investment vehicle. So, but that's still on the table to be discussed, you know, in 23, but uh, that seems to me to be one of the, uh, the, the changes in 22. And I, I forgot to ask you this, Mike, but I, I did ask you, but I didn't listen to your answer. Have you noticed that too? More and more people interested in short-term rentals. On you mean, you mean te- oh investors um you know i i don't see it as much because it's not uh, a, a segment of the market that we serve all that much uh i do still see a lot of investors looking for options on cash flow but as much as it's, as it's being publicized even with airbnb doing their commercials i i think there still aren't a lot of people who are sold on it i think they're still mostly looking at fix and flips or the traditional long-term rental model Okay. Yeah. All right. So anyways, what are the final thoughts on, on 22? We'll do, um, the heat, we'll do the heat check next week, Mike. Yeah. I'll have all the final numbers then for sure. But, you know, I, I think that 22 is the way to sum it up is this, that, you know, hopefully, hopefully you guys all made your money on the, on the big uh, seller's market that we had. Uh, but now it's time to get back to more of a balanced market where, uh, you're going to have to really do your due diligence in finding your your purchases because it's it's just it's different. It's back to balanced. You have to be patient and uh, be willing to make a lot of offers, see a lot of houses, make a lot of offers. That was my old saying back when I started. Uh, I, I stole that from uh, I think it was Carlton Sheets. For those of you guys who remember him. It was see a lot of houses, make a lot of offers. So you can't be afraid to go out there and swing the bat. Right. Now to find those houses, I mean, I'm, I'm okay, come on time for a little pitch for century 21 and Mike Ferrante. Um, so they would call you, they would call your group and say, hey, listen, I've heard your podcast. I share a love of hummus and coffee with you. So you <laughs> seem to be my guy. Right. And you recommend, Hey, get, get somebody who understands investment property, not just, a realtor who who doesn't understand this, who's just basically, you know, looking on the MLS. You need somebody who's going to do a deep dive and understand what this house that they're buying can bring in on the rental side. That is the key. It's not just finding the house. It's finding the investment house. Right, Mike? Yeah. Well, it's a difference be- between what I call an order taker. You know, that's someone who says, oh, you want to write an offer on this house? Okay, how much would you like to offer? And they fill in the blanks on the contract. Anybody can do that. And I think that 
that is why a lot of people don't value the services of realtors anymore, because I think a lot of realtors are order takers. Unfortunately, they don't add a lot of value to a relationship, to a transaction. On the flip side of that is exactly what you said, Mike, someone who understands the big picture and is actually able to give some meaningful advice to their buyers and sellers. Right. You can't be can't be cheap on it. Now, from our side, uh, we're not taking any more business, especially in light of what happened on Christmas time. We've got to make sure we're staffed up correctly and have an organization that can manage X number of properties. And we only have four or five investors. So they we've they're legacy customers. So they're part of the group. But I think we're probably up to about 30 properties that we manage and 20, 25 of our, our own. Um, maybe it's a little bit more than 30 when I think of our investors, but be that as it may, we're not taking any new customers, but we do offer a consulting advice. And the first piece of advice I'll give them is uh, I want you to call Mike Ferrante. And that's not just a plug, but um, I've always been a big believer in, all right, listen, Mr. Investor, you are going to call me at rileyproperties.com, go on our website, and uh, we're going to make sure that Mike Ferrante's team is part of the conversation because what you want to find is a good investment property in a good neighborhood that's going to appreciate and that's going to have a good tenant who's not going to destroy your property and is going to pay the rent on time and you know, that, that's us for consulting with Mike Ferrante. The second thing is you buy an investment property from us, and that comes with us managing our own property because we know the property. We've been taking care of it for 10 years. We also have a tenant in place who trusts us, who will bolt if we sell it and are not managing it. So that, those are the plugs. So if you're going to invest in 23, Get a qualified real estate person who understands investment property. Right, Mike? Did I sum it up right? I, I couldn't have said it better. Okay, good. All right. Well, listen, next week, folks, uh, January, which by the way, Mike, final, final thought, January, we've said before, is a good market to sell a property, right? So it's there's opportunities to sell. There's opportunities to buy. I think if you're a buyer, you look for those properties that lingered through the holiday season, and there's your buying opportunities. And it's a great time to sell. Uh, right around February is when it's that just that perfect balance of not enough inventory and buyers entering the market who who either are ready to buy here in spring or put their home searches on hold for the holidays, and now they're re-entering the market. I've seen some really great uh, outcomes for sellers in January and February because of that. Okay, well, after we're done recording this, you're going to talk to me because I got a couple of properties we want to sell. So anyways, to be continued, Mike, let's wrap this up. And uh, folks, we'll be talking next week for January Heat Check. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Happy New Year. Okay. 
Thank you for listening to the Cleveland Real Estate Investor Podcast with Mike Riley. Please add our show or follow us on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. Leave a like or comment on the video. All engagement is appreciated. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well for video content coming soon. For any Cleveland listeners or Cleveland Browns fans, you can check out our other podcast, Cleveland Browns Anonymous, for our weekly group therapy session. This is also on all the same platforms as the Cleveland Real Estate Investor.